0: You're listening to Remote Possibilities,
1: a podcast on the intersection of technology, society, and education, brought to you by MarketScale. Now here's your host, Kevin Hogan.
0: Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Remote Possibilities, the podcast that explores the promise and the perils of distance learning. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. With me today is Mark Schneiderman a long-time policy expert and advocate for the edtech industry. Mark and I knew each other mostly when he was Senior Director of Education Policy for the Software and Information Industry Association, where he represented and supported software companies on a portfolio of education policy, regulatory, and market issues before government and education leaders. I invited Mark to join me today because of a provocative item he posted last week that divines what may be happening in the ed tech space because of this remote learning scenario that we've all been thrust into. Uh, Here's the knock that I, as I saw it from Mark, COVID-19 brings perhaps the most significant disruptor in our sector's history to schools and companies and to students and teachers. Many assume the resulting shift to remote learning will be a boon to digital learning and the education software industry. I'm hopeful on the former, but more tempered about the latter. While I too anticipate continued increase overall technology usage, I also see budget pressures and hybrid learning as catalysts to schools streamlining their software licenses and right-sizing of a too crowded industry. From there, our industry has the opportunity to further focus investments, adopt standards, and enhance partnerships that will bring the sector toward maturity and impact consistent with our public good responsibility. Now, Mark, I, I could just go on and and read the rest of this blog post because I found it very insightful and uh, and, and provocative uh, for many reasons, uh, but really wanted to dive in a little deeper with you. So, thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and for what you're doing.
0: So, in the post, you, you basically break it down into a, a three point framework. Could you maybe give uh, our listeners a little bit of you know how you you got to that point?
1: Yeah, so um, you know in some ways, what I'm putting forward here is nothing um, significantly new. but as I've learned in my career in public policy, uh solutions really take off when the opportunity and the environment is there to support them. So what I tried to do in this uh in this opinion piece that, that uh is to connect a few dots, lay out a few assumptions and then provide that as a launching point for what I believe is in the best interest uh you know of education technology's future. So, you, you teed it up by reading kind of the headline from, um from the, from the story. The three, uh, the, fr- the three item framework are and quickly, and we can dive in a little bit more deeply one is around investment we've uh, our industry has been uh tremendously benefited tremendously from significant uh investment at at all levels from from angel all the way up to to equity investments that and other factors have enabled uh really thousands of companies and entrepreneurs to take off uh but there's also i think a, a cost to that an opportunity cost in that our dollars are really uh diffused uh and the choices for educations educators, decision makers, families on the ground can be um, difficult uh, with so many so many options. So certainly we want to see continued innovation, but we also want to see us doubling down on what's working and investing more deeply. Uh, and so in that bucket, Really, what I'd like to see is, ed- is, uh, investors, and there are many out there already, but even more investors that are really empathetic to the cycles in educational technology and really to the reality that, um, you know, generational innovation and change, uh, doesn't really happen in our K-12 sector. We're going to continue, even with COVID, I believe, to see more marginal change so we can dive in more deeply but that's that's uh, that's uh one part of the three-part framework is focusing our investments for the long term number two is around limited impact and for a long time our sector has been um, surviving off of case studies and uh, kind of really controlled efficacy studies where we're really met we're, we're controlling for fidelity and ensuring Proper implementation. Uh, what we really need to see are technology products that can be implemented easily and success and succeed with modest touch on improving outcomes, whether that's student achievement or teaching efficiencies or administrative uh, success. And so, um, there's a lot going on in this space. Groups like Digital Promise, Leap Innovation, many others are driving partnerships. But I think uh, you know my recommendation for this step two of these three-part solution is we really need to see even more bottom-up R&D partnership, looking at the full cycle from development to evaluation to implementation and continuous improvement uh, to get us over the hump and uh, ensure more success Uh, and uh, continuous improvement of learning technologies, especially. And I'm I'm focusing there and throughout the article more on curriculum and instructional side. Uh, And quickly, the number three item I suggest is around standards. And I'm using that term fairly broadly to mean policy standards, technical standards, practice standards, research standards. We 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 do see uh, challenges for implementation, deployment, evaluation of learning technologies to reduce the costs of implementation for school districts. Whether it's data integration and rostering uh, or other other factors, uh, I'd like to see our industry better adopt the many standards that are out there, and our our school customers need to do that as well. But whether it's um, you know, data data use terms, uh, accessibility for students with disability, the lack of full investment and adoption by much of the industry in these standards raises the cost of adoption and implementation significantly for school customers and really limits their ability to fully succeed. So if we can have the industry uh, meet them uh, in a place of uh, greater standards adoption that will really uh, reduce the barriers, reduce the friction for successful implementation, and allow more of a plug-and-play success for students, teachers, and schools. So that's number three.
0: Yeah, and exactly. when you mention standards, I mean, I it come that comes back to to the the number one uh, issue that that I discovered in conversations with district executives over the past couple weeks. Which is just the standard of 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 connectivity. I don't I don't think there's a district in this country that didn't have more than one. I mean, significant percentages of children that do not have access to the internet at home. A certain percentage of 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 faculty members who didn't have internet access at home who who got into their cars and conducted class classes. In their cars outside of the high schools because of that condition, does that need to be the first thing? Um, I guess I'm, <laughs> I guess I'm advocating it for myself. I believe that's the first thing that needs to be handled before any of these higher level sort of technologies
1: can be implemented. Do you agree? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's certainly what we're learning. Uh the, the homework gap, the so-called homework gap of student access to technology outside of school has been uh, you know talked about for for many years. Uh uh but we're really seeing it exposed here because the use of that technology at home is not just supplemental, it's fundamental. And so Uh, that, that connectivity is critical for continuity of learning. Uh, and so what we're seeing from, uh, school districts when they look at what they need to do for success as we turn to the turn to the next school year, they are doubling down and focusing on, uh, access. And equity and and connectivity uh, first and foremost. And that's one of the kind of suppositions I lay out in my piece about really what our ed tech, uh, and I'm thinking of the, you know, the software sector, the app sector, digital content sectors can expect, um, moving forward is uh they've the school districts need to get that right first and that's where their investments are gonna are going to have to go and and are going uh then the piece i i mentioned a a recent survey from an administrator, uh, federal procurement, uh, federal administrator group, uh, school district administrators who oversee federal uh, federal grants is really what they're what they're about, and they identified connectivity, hardware, and internet connectivity as uh, the number one, by far, the number one use of of funding. Uh, software was was there; it wasn't far behind. But until we get that right, um, we're not going to be able to succeed elsewhere. And so, that is going to, when we think about the budget and where we are around COVID-19 for, for school districts, um, that's going to take significant budget plus other budget factors. And so, you know, again, my, my expectation is we're going to see real uh, re, the school districts using their, uh, their tools and taking a really hard look at what they have, what's working, what's not, what's being used, and really uh, focusing on those tools that they're seeing high usage of, high impact from, and low friction for adoption. And that's that I think is going to end up crowding out a lot of other. Uh, there's a really long tail in the in, in of app usage in our schools, uh, and I think a lot of the teachers and schools are going to really drop a lot of that long tail because it's going to be even more difficult to succeed successfully. Uh, implement those in the, in this current environment, whether it's for budgetary reasons or for, um, really just management, uh, challenges in a remote, uh, remote work environment. Right.
0: Now, at the beginning of, of the pandemic here in the United States in mid March, you saw pretty much a, a universal response from the industry to get schools, to assist schools to achieve at least a, a bare minimum of connectivity. And to give students activities and you know learning from from curriculum companies like Discovery, uh, I talked to those folks uh, to you know Google and and Zoom and other kind of maybe just more vanilla traditional technology companies. Where you have Google Education, where they pretty much opened up the doors and said, "Hey, use the stuff for free. We'll figure this out at the end of the school year." And that was initially met with a lot of you know, "Hey, isn't this great? We're all coming together." but there was a kind of a growing criticism uh i also heard where it's kind of like from administrators who said you know what don't call us we'll we'll call you if if we need something and they kind of felt that they were being maybe um sold to in a time where that just really wasn't appropriate and and now we're at the point where well now the school year begins uh and you have to have some sort of pricing strategy uh, in order to succeed what is your take on that particular
1: um phenomena that occurred? Yeah, I think that's uh that's a a great point. Uh the sector I think did really step up uh at the start with uh, offering extended uh, f- uh licensing, uh, extended access for 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 at no cost, really building on sort of the a, a freemium freemium model. But uh, that that's not, you know, that's not really sustainable. And so for for anyone, uh, and so the the need now is for school districts to identify what are their priority technologies. And you know if, if that's solving their problem, then you know, they're gonna value that, and they're gonna be willing to 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 pay for that. Uh, and it is it is a challenging environment uh, in terms of, as you said, uh, making those, uh, those, those cold calls and pushing, pushing a technology, which is never a good practice, yeah. uh, on the, on the, on the sales side. Uh, but even, even more challenging now when our decision makers are just stretched so thin, trying to invent a new model of education on the fly, keep, keep the plane, uh, flying, as they say, uh, while they're reinventing it and remodeling it. Uh and so um I think what, what we're seeing from, you know, I think companies that are successful is where they were already working with a district and having success, that's a good place for them to go deeper and, and expand their expand their scope and scale there. Um, if you're trying to um, reach a school or district or decision-make you or haven't, I think a lot of s- companies are doing a great job of putting together, you know, best practices and uh, and trying to help school districts be be smart and get educated. Of course, you know, there's only so many sets of best practices and white papers and such that, that you can read. So, uh, ultimately, uh, I believe you know uh, uh, software companies uh, are sort of dependent on school districts reaching out to them, and when they're ready, uh, they'll know where, where to find them. Um, and so, I think we're we're in that in that environment right now, where districts are really looking internally and 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 deciding what they want to focus on moving forward. Right. And so, this is a there's a lot happening right through this summer.
0: Another uh, phenomenon that uh, I, I've picked up over uh, the last couple of weeks uh, in speaking with, with district officials is the use of technology remotely and how students use technology, whether it's approved by the district or not, right? I mean, for years, we've talked about acceptable use policies and, um, you know, you have these district-wide learning management systems where app use is regulated. A lot of that went out the window <laughs> this March. Um, you saw a lot of teachers using TikTok to put up their algebra lessons. You saw uh, a lot of primary schools where in the past YouTube would be restricted to not being restricted, uh, just all in an effort uh, to keep kids uh, connected and engaged. Do, do you foresee uh, some of those pre-pandemic Regulations being rewritten now, and, and talk a little bit about the like, student agencies and, and 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 parent and teacher agency in the use of technologies that might not be within the walled garden of the of, of the district's
1: technology. Yeah, this is a really important issue and one that I did a lot of work on in my, uh, in my career at SIIA on the issues of student data privacy, because there was much sort of uh, criticism of the industry uh, around uh, data use and access, but really a lot of what we saw were the applications that maybe weren't meeting, meeting standards of data use or other types of standards were kind of their rogue teacher adoption of a a product. And so um, there's a really difficult rub there, right? Because you want teachers to be empowered to use their their skills and and engage their students and use the technologies they feel are most effective. At the same time, school districts have a re- responsibility and and you know and a liability around uh, confidentiality f- and for students and conf- and, and protecting uh, students and student student data and and protect them, protecting them in other ways. Uh, and I think um, a lot of school districts have. Um, Implemented procedures in recent years, whereby teachers can submit an application, make the case for it. The district will vet it uh, and approve it or or not approve it, and then uh, teachers can can use apps from that approved list. Uh, but. We often see that school districts can't really keep up with that, and teachers are, you know, impatient because they want to do what they think is best uh, for their for their students. So, how is that changing, um, you know, in this in this current environment? Uh, And this gets back to kind of some of my points about how as we scale up digital learning. The pressures are even greater, so the workload on CIOs and CTOs is even greater, and so I I I, feel, I believe this is really causing them to kind of want to limit and control even more. And I think teachers struggle in this environment to implement some of those technologies that they could maybe more easily roll out um, in a in a in a more controlled classroom environment. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that. Plays out uh, in the in the coming months, sort of the con- district control versus teacher usage, and how that will impact uh, the rules for for technology. I, I'd say the last thing is you know there could I'll say on this point is you know there we could be talking sort of a difference without a distinction because whether students are at home uh, or in the school, right? They're still. Accessing those those uh, hosted technologies, those that data that app is still most likely in the cloud, and so uh, there's not a fundamental difference there. But yeah,
0: <laughs> now we have the the you know, the upcoming school year is appearing to be just the the experiment hasn't ended <laughs> since the end of the last school year. Talk a little bit about how long this. Experiment will have to take before some
1: of the points in your in your framework can take effect. The timing is is really challenging here because nobody knows exactly what the future holds, right? And we're we're seeing this ebb and flow uh, about back to school models, right? It was it was first. I felt like it was first, we've got to, we've absolutely got to get our kids back into the physical classroom, especially our most vulnerable students, our younger students, students that really struggled for whatever reason with remote learning. I think with the resurgence, we're, I think, seeing a little bit of a hesitancy from parents and playing out with school leaders and policymakers about comfort and going back into the physical space. So, uh, I think if you think about that continuum, it feels like that continuum... Uh, it was always a hybrid model, but it feels like it's shifting even a little bit more more digital. Yeah. Um, the three steps that I laid out are really more midterm steps that I, I believe can and should happen uh, coming out of this environment. So really right now we're trying to put out the fires and solve you know yesterday's and today's problem. but what I believe is that we'll create an environment where we're learning so much, on the one hand, uh, good and bad and ugly, and where the uh, where we we could see a shrinking of the industry uh, as a result of the uh, of this environment, and that that gives us the opportunity to move on the back end. You know uh, whether it's you know whether it's spring semester moving into the following school year. To kind of take a step back. Now, I'm not saying we need to completely wait until then, but I think the reality is that uh, the space to really think more deeply and and expand in these deeper ways as I've laid out uh, will take a little bit of time. And again, those are really uh, focusing investment on uh, fewer products and taking more of a long-term approach, more of an impact investment approach. Not that that's not happening already, but I like to see more of that happening that really recognize the marginal changes that happen in school and not expect that we're going to move to a completely long-term digital K-12 environment. You know, secondly, The uh, partnerships that are needed for that success, the R&D partnerships, that full cycle of implementation, development, evaluation, and continuous improvement. And then third, uh, really doubling down on standards and the adoption of standards and making the investments so that when a school district looks at a product and adopts a product, they know that it's accessible. For all their students, no matter their level of disability, they know they can roster that product easily through through an existing data standard and not have to uh, not go through the cumbersome process of exchanging data data files and manually uh, getting that done. Uh, that they know that the terms of use have been kind of vetted for for data use and that the product has a record of uh, of efficacy and, and things of that nature. Uh, So, um, you know, again, my hope is that uh, COVID is kind of a catalyst. It's an accelerator of where we need to go as an industry to mature and really deliver on the promise and deliver on and expand on the successes that we've had uh, in a more complete manner. Well, Mark, usually my last question involves desperately looking for a best case scenario,
0: but I think you just beat me to the punch there. (laughs) That sounds like... um... To what we would all hope would would happen and, and go forward. And I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate the uh, the piece that you wrote and your time in, in, in talking w- about it with me. Thanks, Kevin. It was fun. Thanks, and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, if you have ideas for further episodes of Remote Possibilities, uh, please reach out. And if you want to read Mark's piece, where we have cross posted it today, uh, up on Marketplace. Uh, if you just go and click on the link uh, on my byline, you'll be able to find it.